Delhi and New Delhi. What's the big difference? See, whenever you read an article on international affairs, they always say Washington imposed new sanctions on Russia or uh, Beijing granted another loan to an African country. Because the media uses the capital of a country as an embodiment, as a personification of a government. Because capital is the seat of the federal or central executive and also the legislature and also the Supreme Court, all the three essential organs of a state or of a government. Then you never see foreign newspapers using Delhi while referring to Indian government. They always say New Delhi. They always use New Delhi because Delhi is like a state with 11 districts. And one of these 11 districts is New Delhi. And this district called New Delhi is the capital of entire India. So a district is the capital of entire India. I'm repeating. Then it'll surprise you to know that no part of New Delhi district is directly under the control of Delhi government. You know, the elected Delhi government. And neither are any districts in Delhi, despite Delhi having an assembly, a cabinet, a council of ministers uh, headed by a chief minister. This is the reason why you always see Delhi government under Kejriwal and the center always locking horns on Delhi's administration to a point where it's very obnoxious. But both of them are justified in their own right over their claims in Delhi, claims over Delhi. But none of them can assert their claims absolutely. This is because of Delhi's very fascinating governance setup and how it's a blend of a both state and a union territory. So both the state government and the union government have overlapping claims at times. In this episode, you'll find out about very captivating administrative history of Delhi, its governance setup after 69th Amendment, and then the judgment of the Supreme Court when Delhi and Centre moved the Supreme Court to adjudicate on powers of Centre and Delhi government in Delhi. And a lot on the arguments made before the Supreme Court and Delhi High Court because that's what this podcast is primarily about, the novel and clever legal arguments. It starts with the British rule, you know, of course the British rule. So the British ruled different regions when they were reigning India with different setups. And different for a host of reasons. At the top was the Viceroy, who's also called the Governor General. And this Viceroy was the head of entire British India. He was only answerable to Secretary of State in Great Britain. And the Office of Secretary of State was, of course, in London. Yeah, there's no one above Viceroy in India except for Secretary of State, who is again not in India. This Viceroy ruled presidency towns such as Calcutta, Bombay and Madras through a a governor and a council called Governor and Council. And this council received a few non-binding advisors at times from an an elected representatives, uh, like the elected legislative assembly. And since their advice was non-binding, the legislative assembly is virtually impotent. Then the Viceroy controlled regions that were not presidencies through a single person called Chief Commissioners and hence these regions were called Chief Commissioner Provinces. And just with a single Chief Commissioner because these areas were either very low in population or so important that it required Viceroy's direct supervision because uh, Chief Commissioners were directly appointed by the Viceroy. Then there were princely states, which were sui generis. You know, they were a class apart because they were administered by native princes themselves. But these princely states were loyal to the British on issues of war, foreign war and foreign policy decisions. In fact, the British even controlled the princely states' international affairs or affairs that affect British interests internationally. So for all practical purposes, we can count princely states as being administered by British. But, you know, a certain level of sovereignty was reserved for the princes. So after independence, all the princely states were integrated with India. Immediately after, changing the governing setup of different regions wasn't the top priority of the government because it had to deal with mass exodus and voting and drafting the constitution and there was no harm in retaining the existing framework of governance for the time being. So until 1956, all the regions in India, all the states and union territories as we call them now, were administered exactly with the, set, uh, with the setup British has left it. But through elected leaders. That was the only difference. So 
the ones run by governor general in council and a legislative assembly the toothless legislative assembly were bombay madras uttar pradesh and these were called part a states former princely states like hyderabad jammu and kashmir and madhya bharat mysore travancore cochin uh, cochin were part or were called part b states then part c states were chief commissioners provinces you know ajmer kurg delhi bhopal and part d weirdly only had one state andaman and nicobar and it was directly administered by a lieutenant governor again this categorization was just temporary the real delineation was done on the report of states reorganization commission and uh, with the enactment of states reorganizations act 1956 which was based on the report of the earlier uh, previously mentioned commission and this act delineated states on linguistic basis and this act just created two classifications this act reduced all the part a b c and d into two states and union territories that's it and states were run by a chief minister and a cabinet with the governor as a head of state and union territories directly by the prime minister and his council of ministers or uh, with president as a head of the state or as the head of the union territory and union territory or state in a way in a general way uh, states were sovereign in all in in all issues in less to mentioned in less to of the constitution but union territories were entirely administered through a president delegate called an administrator and this administrator has to be of an ias cadre and has virtually no discretion uh they have to directly report to and take orders from the president who in turn takes orders or uh, advice or binding advice from the council of ministers now in states a governor too is a delegate of a president but belonging to an ias cadre is not a prerequisite and another very irrelevant but you know very interesting thing is that the adjective of governor is gubernatorial yeah it's g o b e r n a t o r i a l not governorship as many people might assume so yeah do whatever you want with that information you know you can just boast it in front of your friends um yeah and pondicherry you know that's an interesting uh, union territory because pondicherry although it's a union territory it has a few state like features because when it was officially annexed to india from france in 1962 one of the conditions of the merger was that pondicherry citizens shall have some franchise rights so they got an elected assembly through a parliamentary mandate and not a constitutional mandate and this is as opposed to new delhi as you'll know further that delhi has delhi's delhi's legislature has a constitutional status so broadly this is a setup of india every region is either a union territory or a state and union territories are governed directly by the center with powers flowing from article 239 and the states through a bunch of articles which you already know so a disclaimer here i'll be referring to the union government or the federal government as the center for the sake of brevity so yeah So with this federal structure states and center have few exclusive powers and neither states nor the center can interfere with the other, with others powers and this is a constitutional prohibition and it's not just an informal bargain through a few treaties and of course there can be encroachments under exceptional circumstances like emergency and war and all but that too just by the center on the states powers and not otherwise but broadly india's is a federal structure and whenever center tried to encroach the supreme court came to the rescue of the states and this federal structure is a win win for both the center and the states in a way because the states don't have to worry about foreign relations army currency patents and everything and generally issues of national importance and the center doesn't have to bother about local administration and civil response civic responsibilities and local law and order so the setup was this simple and straightforward you know just until when the parliament got bored and when it wanted to harass all the law students so it changed the setup of delhi see until 1911 delhi wasn't even the capital of india it was just a part of punjab province you know of course it had its own historical significance but under the british it was very much neglected and to your surprise delhi was actually under the jurisdiction of lahore high court and you know the one in pakistan and after partition it was under punjab and haryana high court and delhi didn't even have its own high court until 
and this is also obvious that delhi was mu- delhi was much of a part of punjab uh, from the famous bridge portion case where uh, the impugned organizer magazine was published in delhi and bhushan was charged under east punjab public safety act 1949 you know there was no such thing as delhi act or anything so delhi was very much a part of punjab and it was only after delhi became the capital of british india in 1911 after the party after shifting of capital from uh, west bengal was it given a special status as a chief commissioner's province because it was declared the capital of entire british india and you know after independence to delhi as uh, as i've uh, mentioned earlier remain a part sea state because nehru thought delhi being a capital city it holds prominent stature and it requires to be run very very efficiently and it must be guarded with all the life and uh, delhi thought uh, sorry uh, and uh, nehru thought it would be too burdensome for a local government to handle delhi especially when the stakes are always high in delhi So Delhi is directly administered by the center through president through again a lieutenant governor and the center created virtually and all of this was immediately after independence the center created a virtually toothless assembly for Delhi and it scrapped it in 1956 remember 1956 was the year when indian territories were reorganized on linguistic basis into states and union territories and this is when delhi too was made a union territory or uh, despite heavy resistance because delhi was a rather big state and uh, making delhi a union territory would mean that taking away franchise rights of literally all the citizens of delhi and delhi citizens of course wanted their own franchise rights on par with citizens of other states now there are sound reasons for retaining delhi under the center's control because delhi is the capital of india and the center has almost all of its offices and residences of all the ministers and senior government officials and foreign dignitaries and who's who in the government in delhi in new delhi and it's also new delhi is also face of india in international arena and surrounding regions of new delhi will have inevitable impact on new delhi so it has to be free from petty politics and uh, maintenance of law and order upholding its dignity and effective allocation of all of its resources especially land is of the highest importance for f- efficient functioning of new delhi and also delhi was not self sustainable financially too so it was not feasible to run delhi without centers financial assistance and if you see capitals across the globe capital cities hold political and social predominance and any delegation of powers to a sovereign body within the capital led to conflict and you know it would produce embarrassing situations for the entire nation and these were also the observations made by a few committees and uh, few committees appointed for the purpose of assessing the status of delhi among indian states and union territories and deriving reasoning from the reports of these committees the center classified delhi as a union territory with no elected body and all of this was in 1956 and you know obviously delhi citizens were not satisfied with the setup so they made constant demands to make delhi a full state and uh, they sustained their demands for a lot of time and the government succumbed and it formed the balakrishna committee to look into the reorganization of delhi and this committee was initially called rs sarkaria committee but uh, when justice sarkaria resigned balakrishnan became the new chairman and hence balakrishna committee uh, so th- this committee submitted its report in 1989 recommending that the erstwhile state of delhi should be accorded special status as national capital territory among all the union territories because all of this time since 1956 delhi was a union territory the committee noted that the most uh, most of the difficulties faced by the citizens of delhi can be attributed to you know they call it structural structural in, uh, inadequacies and flaws of the existing setup and the committee suggested that while the center should retain substantial control over the governance of national capital the citizens of delhi also need an accountable uh, representative body to administer all the civic activities that impact their day to day lives and the committee suggested the revival of a legislative assembly with restricted powers to deal with day to day matters basically delhi's uh, legislative assembly is a little more than uh, if you live in a metro city uh, your own municipal corporation uh, and relying on the report 
relying on this report in 1991 the parliament passed the 69th constitutional amendment act and this act inserted article 239 aa and 239 ab and this act provided for a legislative assembly in delhi and to complement it national capital region uh, delhi government act 1991 was also passed with provisions relating to legislative assembly and council of ministers this uh, 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 government of delhi act is basically its own little constitution and uh, yeah this is a legislative history of delhi legislative and actual history of delhi too so now now what are the powers of this new assembly you know and how is delhi special so with these changes delhi got an elected council of ministers and the power to legislate on entries in state list and also in concurrent list with a big rider that delhi uh, delhi assembly can legislate on entries in list 2 and 3 if those lists have any items that are applicable to union territories and you know and i repeat if they are only applicable to union territories at the same time delhi government was constitutionally prohibited from meddling with issues of land public order police and services these are the four things and you know these are for the obvious reasons again land because the central government needs land in delhi how much our uh, uh, the capital city might be expanding and they definitely need land and public order and police are crucial for maintenance of public order and basically land public order and police are the most potent power nodes in a state and without them the assembly is basically relegated into a civic body as i mentioned before because it's left with what education health seal of electricity gas and all the similar elements not that these are useless for a person's well being but you know they're not given as much as value they deserve to and they're not that powerful and again amidst all of this there's a big catch the parliament was given overriding powers on all the legislative entries so if if the parliament passes a law the statute becomes a law of delhi and any law passed by delhi assembly stands revoked even on education health gas or similar domains even if delhi legislative assembly passed a law if parliament passes a law on the same subject all the provisions passed by delhi legislative assembly would stand revoked so delhi government's law making mandate uh, delhi legislature's law making mandate subsists until center steps in just like the powers of a state over entries in concurrent list and all of these issues that i mentioned before are drafted in article 239 aa and uh, clause 4 of the cm article provides for a westminster cabinet system where uh, cm and his ministers would quote unquote aid and advise the lieutenant governor on issues uh, on issues the legislature is competent to enact now with states in india the phrase aid and advise the government meant that the governor shall be bound by such a such advice tendered by the chief minister and his ministers because governor is merely a figurehead so what does this mean for lieutenant governor and delhi council of ministers you know this is a bone of contention and with this uncertainty there is a big catch here the constitutional enables the lieutenant governor as a president's delegate to refer any decision like literally any decision for the Del- of, of the delhi government for the consideration of the president and then the decision of the president shall be final then lieutenant governor also has the power to take quote unquote necessary action if he thinks it's necessary if he thinks it's necessary even if the reference to the president is pending on that issue so lieutenant governor's powers are wider much more wider than governors of states because lieutenant governor has a lot of discretion discretionary powers and like a governor and here too because lg uh, lieutenant governor is not required to abide by the decision of the council of ministers so to round up council of ministers has the executive power over some issues in list 2 and 3 but the lieutenant governor can refer the matter to president at his own discretion and if that's the case president's call would be final so council of ministers and delhi legislative assembly isn't entirely sovereign because they they're not the final authority there's a superior authority over them and then again clause 3 also gives the center full control over police land and public order and obviously this includes their appointment 
appointments to all of the all of the institutions that manage these bodies and the constitutional jargon for appointments and anything that deals with government job is services because it's state discharging its service to the citizenry through these officers and that's why it's called the broad label as services then article 239 ab you know the second added article through the act it says that if the president thinks fit he or she can suspend partial or full operation of article 239 aa so unsurprisingly with different parties at the center and state and coupled with murky power borders between center and state there is a possibility of delhi government or the union government encroaching onto others domains and they did just that and they approached the constitutional courts with their problems and these problems were like who's the competent authority to appoint a special prosecutor and who's the appropriate government under the commission of inquiry act 1952 uh and uh, whether delhi government is qualified to revise minimum rates of agricultural land because land is reserved on uh, re- land is a reserved entry for the center and then who controls delhi's electricity department center or delhi meanwhile an fir was bugged by acb against mukesh ambani's reliance industries you know alleging corruption with central government employees and reliance to filed a writ for quashing of the fir by the acb of delhi contending that Delhi's ACB is not empowered to lodge an FIR and start investigation uh, in offences under Prevention of Corruption Act 1988, uh, especially the ones committed by the central government employees. And it is not material to the discussion, but FIR was filed against former UPA oil minister for colluding uh, with Reliance to drive up oil prices. and then the arguments in delhi high court with us and first the issues were challenged through a red petition before the delhi high court and as usual the arguments were carried out on all issues but out of the blue at the end of the arguments literally delhi government filed a petition under article 131 in the supreme court and under 131 a dispute between center and states has to be adjudicated by the supreme court and pending this suit in the supreme court delhi government unsurprisingly raised a jurisdictional objection in the high court claiming that this case involves interpreting constitutional federal relationship between center and delhi and that the high court is obviously not empowered to adjudicate these issues and so delhi government basically argued that this dispute in reality is a federal dispute between delhi and the center and since all the federal disputes shall only be adjudicated by the supreme court the delhi high court has no jurisdiction to pass any orders on these issues at the same time remember that all of this was at the fag end of uh, the proceedings in delhi high court and alternatively delhi high court argued that even if we remove 131 out of the picture now that a suit is suit on the same subject is subjudice in the supreme court all the proceedings by delhi high court must come to a standstill and the center countered back and the center accused delhi government of abusing the process of the court for filing the 131 suit at the fag end of the proceedings then the center countered by pointing out that delhi is still a union territory and not a state and delhi still is listed as a union territory in schedule 1 of the constitution then center argued a federal issue only involves dynamics between center and states and delhi is not a state at all it's a union territory and union territories are directly controlled by the center so delhi too is directly controlled by the center so since the sovereignty of delhi is in the hands of center just the postulation of delhi government filing a case against center is absurd because it would be like one entity filing a case against itself you know it's ridiculous countering this objection of jurisdiction delhi high court maintained that belated objection is of no consequence because there is inherent want of jurisdiction for delhi high court and this jurisdictional issue goes into the root of the matter and if the high court passes any orders on these issues they would be void ab initio and you know naturally the high court rejected the proposition that 131 ousted the high court's 226 jurisdiction also because it was also subject in the supreme court uh in the facts of the case especially you know it's not a general principle and the, the court cited many precedents and held that 
131 enters a stage only in the context of constitutional relationship and also legal rights flowing from those relationships then the court noted that political wrangles or questions of existence or extent of a legal right doesn't attract 131 then the high court summarily explained that our dispute in appointing uh, a, a dispute in appointing authority of a special public prosecutor isn't a federal issue and neither is investigation of corruption of central government employees by delhi government court said these issues involve just determining uh, determining the validity of government orders on constitutional principles and also under gnct act the delhi's own constitution and the court then went on to hear the case on merits and passed relevant orders but the issue is not relevant because a few of them a few a few of the issues were overruled by the supreme court in the appeal so instead we'll just fully focus on supreme court's issue on all issues because that's the law of the land and the case reached the supreme court and in supreme court the delhi government argued that with article 2239 aa and ab delhi is neither a state nor a union territory because delhi's characteristics and powers are more like powers of states which other union territories don't possess at all so delhi holds a hybrid position delhi, uh, delhi government argued because it has a constitutionally created legislative assembly in contrast to pondicherry where it has merely a statutorily created parliament uh, statutorily uh, created legislative assembly that were created by the parliament so these peculiarities make delhi sui generis a class apart and not comparable to either states or union territories and then delhi government argued uh, this position is also taken by a nine judge bench in new delhi municipal corporation versus state of punjab so the court shall not view delhi as just a union territory under the direct control of the parliament then the delhi government submitted that since federalism forms a part of the basic structure the courts must interpret a provision to further augment you know to further consolidate these basic features and for that in case of any ambiguity the court has to take a liberal approach for interpretation uh, and especially for the issues at hand and the court shall not be limited by the technicalities of the words because courts it's court's duty to consolidate the basic features of the constitution and federalism is one of the basic features of the constitution then delhi government showed the reasons for bestowing the elected delhi government with all the state like powers it has and delhi government pointed out that the parliament enacted gnctd act and it also added 239 aa and ab to give delhi citizens more say in their local governance then delhi government argued the phrase in the old act assist and advise was expressly repealed and replaced with aid and advice in the new statute and this replacement points to the clear intention of the parliament to establish a westminster style government in delhi just like how all other states in india have so in this scheme lieutenant governor merely is a titular head like the governors of other states and not a check post where the council of ministers applies for consent for each and every executive decision so delhi government further argued irrespective of the label of the office you know in this case it's the lieutenant governor you know it's not the governor the council of ministers which derives its support from the elected legislature shall control the government because the collective responsibility of the council is to the elected legislature and this legislature further is responsible to the voters and it requires the council of ministers to be empowered you know empowered sufficiently to make executive decisions and retain the confidence of the legislature so with this scheme the lieutenant governor has to abide by the decisions of the council so lieutenant governor's role in delhi should be confined to more like that of a governor and less like that of an administrator of other union territories delhi government then continued the power of the lieutenant governor to review decisions is not intended to check the correctness you know or to check the merits of such decisions but it's only to check whether the decision taken by the council of ministers is out of the domain is out of uh, is out of the scope of delhi government and if it is actually out of the scope of delhi government then the lieutenant governor would have the option 
to refer these orders to the president and also if they adversely affect the capital of India or if they encroach on center's prerogatives, he would still get the chance to block it and send it to president for his consideration. Then Delhi government pointed out that it's true that clause 4 in, in 239AA allows lieutenant governor to uh, use his discretion whenever such discretionary powers are conferred on him by the president and that you know lieutenant governor is also empowered to refer any matter any matter which he thinks fit to the president but these powers shall only be excised in suitable circumstances and the lieutenant governor cannot block all executive decisions left, right and centre in a robotic manner because all these constant references to the president would go against the concept of federalism which is a basic structure, which is a basic feature of the constitution. So Lieutenant Governor has no discretion to check the merits of a decision taken by the council because it is a prerogative of the council, it is a policy decision of the council. Next, Delhi government argued Article 239 AA vests uh, with the parliament uh, overriding legislative powers for Delhi in items, uh, in items of list 2 and 3. But the same article also stays consciously silence on the executive powers of these corresponding lists. So this conscious silence on executive powers is parliament's way of expressing that only legislative powers can be overridden by the parliament but not the parallel executive powers and by contrast clause 3 in article 239 aa provides legislative powers to delhi assembly and clause 4 provides executive powers to a council of ministers elected by the delhi assembly so this express vesting of authority in delhi assembly to the delhi's council of ministers is the proper legal ex uh, is proper and delhi government is the proper legal executive head of the delhi then delhi government continued article 73 grants the executive power of the center on issues that it can legislate and you know this is also a very general provision of the constitution then 239AA hints that delhi government is the repository of executive powers as argued before now, a harmonious construction of these two provisions, you know, uh, 73 and 239AA, or after considering that federalism is a basic feature of a constitution, the only possible conclusion, the only possible harmonious const uh, construction would be that Delhi government has the executive power over Delhi assembly, de or, uh, over entire Delhi. So, Delhi government in conclusion, has the executive powers on entries in less 2 and 3. This was a strong uh, argument by the Delhi government. Then Delhi government also argued having concurrent legislative powers is acceptable, but concurrent executive powers would prove a disaster because there won't be any proper accountability with overlapping chain of command. So the executive power can never be concurrent. So for entries in lists 2 and 3, the executive power rests with Delhi government. So Delhi government argued the effect of Article 239AA subclause 3 is that all matters on which Delhi Legislative Assembly has the power to legislate are effectively equivalent to the con uh, to matters of the concurrent list but the executive powers on uh, all lists 2 and 3 are reserved with the Delhi government. Then Delhi government finally argued Article 239AB empowers the president to declare any emergency or suspend, suspend a few powers of Delhi government to take over the administration. So 239AB would become redundant if we accept that the center has overriding authority over executive actions or decisions of Delhi government because in such a situation no event would even arise for the president to declare emergency to take over the administration of Delhi because it's already under center's control. So this clearly shows that elected Delhi government controls the executive of Delhi. Then the 1991 Act as well as rules themselves cannot be used to interpret a constitutional provisions in as much as you know they only reflect the scheme of the governance and here ended Delhi government's arguments. Then it was center's turn to argue and the center was represented by the uh, additional solicitor general and he argued that there is neither any ambiguity nor any absurdity 
arising from the plain or literal interpretation of provisions of 239 AA. So the court shall employ strict interpretation while interpreting any relevant provisions. And he started off by saying that, he started off by arguing that the phrase any matter in clause 4 means just that, any matter. Center then argued, the parliaments the parliament used the wide phrase any matter to emphasize the superiority of the center in Delhi's governance and also keeping in view the unique issues that might arise and the immense responsibilities and all the interests center has in Delhi. So the lieutenant governor can review every matter including day-to-day activities so that the center won't get affected by the mismanagement of Delhi's local government. So, Lieutenant Governor is, in conclusion, entitled to refer any matter he thinks merits the President's consideration, and there is no limitation to this power. Then, Article 239 is an integral part of the constitutional scheme, and it is also applicable to all the other Union territories in India, including Delhi. Centre argued Delhi is no different from Pondicherry because both the Union territories are subjected to Article 239 and both of them have a few state-like elements but at their core they are still Union territories and merely because they have a legislative assembly they are not exempt from operation of 239, Article 239 which of course governs all the Union territories. Then Delhi was retained as a union territory with a few state-like powers, as has been said in the Balkrishna report. So Delhi is still a union territory, and just like all other union territories, its executive powers to rest with the president, and they are excised through a delegate. And in this case, such a delegate is the lieutenant governor. Center argued the scheme of Pondicherry and Delhi is the same insofar as the chain of command is concerned, that is, union government has the ultimate say. Center then argued that there have been plenty precedents delineating powers of state and center, especially with respect to states and union territories. And merely because Delhi Assembly is a, is a creature of the constitution, The court can't view Delhi in a new light and spare Delhi of existing principles laid down by this court on the subject. So, the well-established principle that executive powers are coterminous with legislative powers is only with respect to states because a conflict might occur only between a state and the centre because of a possibility of different governments and not with a union territory because after all, a union territory is run by the centre. Then the centre contended that Clause 3 of Article 239 doesn't empower Delhi to legislate on all entries in uh, in List 2 and 3 but only those entries that are applicable to a union territory, that too, if they're, if they're in lists two and three. So it's evident that in its, in, its, in its essence, Delhi is still a union territory. And under Article 246 subclause 4, Parliament has the overriding powers to make laws on all entries in all three lists and for all the union territories, which of course includes Delhi. And this is further reiterated in Clause 3, which goes on to reiterate Centre's absolute control of over Delhi. Next, Centre argued that, since the executive power of the Union is vested in the President of India under Article 53, the executive power extends to all subject matters on which Parliament has power to make laws. For, so, in a Union territory, the executive power of the Union extends to any matter in all three lists because it is a Union territory. So, the executive power in the Union territory remains with the President under Article 239. Centre continued, the Parliament, a Parliament has a- anticipated, owing to Delhi's responsibilities in relation to almost every subject, it may become necessary for the centre to take any decision with regard to any matter in relation to you know, administration of Delhi. And such a need may also arise in relation to day-to-day function of Delhi. So, Lieutenant Governor is empowered to interfere with day-to-day govern- governing functions of Delhi and also all the government orders. Centre further argued that Governance in union territories is still unitary in nature, 
so they are directly under the control of union uh, of the union cabinet who is further responsible for their administration to the parliament of india so the union cabinet must have enough administrative powers to retain the confidence of the parliament for administration of these union territories then on the issue of redundancy of article uh, 239a b the center pointed out the differences between 356 and 239a b and countered that under 356 the president can declare emergency and assume the control of a state any state whereas under 239 ab president can suspend the operation of uh, any uh, operation of any provisions of article 239 aa and article 239 aa didn't use the phrase assume powers like 356 because the powers already vest in the president and this article categorically empowers the president to suspend delhi legislative assembly at will next the expression executive action of the lieutenant governor and not the executive action of nct of delhi was used by the parliament in the gnctd act and this only goes on to show that executive powers vest with the lieutenant governor and if the lieutenant governor differs with the opinion tendered by the council lieutenant governors always free to refer that decision to the president and this scheme makes council of ministers of delhi inferior to lieutenant governor because council of ministers has no final authority this primacy was again superimposed uh, through clause 4 which gave the parliament overriding legislative power The center appraised the court that there were many instances where the lieutenant governor was not even informed of the decisions thereby violating the transaction of business rules and very few instances where uh, lieutenant governor exercised his power to make reference to the president to demonstrate lieutenant governor's respect to federal principles finally center argued vesting the exclusive executive and legislative powers to delhi would elevate delhi to a state and the idea of elevating delhi to a state was tossed around by the parliament and expressly rejected and then the parliament ordained a special status to delhi and granting any exclusive powers to delhi would negate parliamentary and constitutional mandate the supreme court then delivered its judgment and it was initially criticized for being redundantly lengthy and the judgment was delivered thus for a union territory to ascend to the status of a state it should generally be sovereign within a few domains but the power of the lieutenant governor in clause 4 to refer any matter to the president and parliament's overriding legislative powers denied delhi government the sovereignty so nct delhi isn't just a state in the constitutional scheme and is still subjected to article 239 so it is still a union territory but with inserting 239 aa delhi was elevated to a semi state while remaining a union territory at its core while again retaining the legislative supremacy of the parliament the supreme court expounded that delhi has a legislature and government elected by its citizens which can pass laws and control the executive on issues in lists 2 uh, and 3 of course in so far as they apply to union territories at the same time delhi also has a lieutenant governor who reports to the president who further acts on the advice of the union cabinet so on legislative powers delhi is subservient to the center because parliament has overriding powers on legislation but on the ex- uh, on the issues of executive power the supreme court said delhi government does have wide powers and the court ado- and the court adopted quote and quote purposive and purposive interpretation and concluded that the intent of parliament in according the semi state status to delhi was to enable delhi citizens to have a greater say in their local governance because mlas are elected by voters and the council of ministers are responsible to the mlas member of legislative assemblies this scheme maintains accountability and to be accountable council of ministers must have enough power to control over the administration of delhi and also since clause 3 evidently reserves parliament's legislative powers 
executive powers are deemed to be intentionally not reserved and the idea of center having executive powers on subjects that can be legislated by delhi goes against the uh, quote unquote pragmatic federalism so just like all of the states the council of ministers of delhi has executive powers over lists 2 and 3 even if parliament legislates from those lists but its executive power is limited by parliament's legislation so the freest aid and advice has the exact import of how it's used while referring to a governor of the state and consequently it follows that the freest any matter has implied limitations and the lieutenant governor cannot mechanically refer all matters to uh, to the president and lieutenant governor's discretion must be guided by constitutional morality and collab uh, and collaborative federalism or else it's the voters that feel defrauded then supreme court held the reason for appraising delhi on all decisions is to keep him on the loop and enabling lieutenant governor to maintain synergy and to give him an opportunity to refer or refer any matter to the president if he feels that such a decision would adversely affect delhi because remember delhi is a capital it's it's it is more important to the center and india as a whole rather than just citizens of delhi so essentially the supreme court held that delhi government is the head of the executive and it doesn't require a center of lieutenant governor on all decisions but if lieutenant governor actually thinks after following constitutional principles that the decisions of the delhi government would affect the functioning of delhi he can refer them to the president and union cabinet's call would be final but this reference to the president shall not happen mechanically and the lieutenant governor must always be guided by constitutional and federal principles and because of this the definition of a state and a union territory in general clauses act shall be construed in the context because for land public order and police union uh, union cabinet your know, central government is the uh, appropriate government and for all others it's the delhi government then the supreme court ordered a smaller bench to resolve all the other issues uh, raised by the petitioners and the center by applying these constitutional principles because remember constitution benches confine themselves to question of significant constitutional importance and because this bench was not formed in working article 131 uh, original jurisdiction but through an appeal and this smaller bench comprised of just three judges and one of the judges was also member of the five judge bench and it was here again delhi government and the center of course and in this bench too very interesting and compelling arguments were made and delhi government argued that here by starting off the arguments <coughs> that if one goes by the cons- uh, constitution bench judgment delhi would have full uh, full executive powers to the exclusion of center the center disagreed and argued that the con- uh, constitution bench just stated that delhi government has coterminous executive powers but it's not to the exclusion of the center because under clause 4 of 239 aa lieutenant governor has the power to refer decisions to the president and supreme court acknowledged this power and upheld this power then center contended that delhi government's case before the constitution bench judgment a uh, constitution bench was that because delhi is a state and because it is governed just by 239 aa delhi is exempt by article 239 because only union territories are governed by are uh, governed through article 239 the constitution bench judgment categorically held that delhi is not a state but a union territory and the upshot of such a conclusion is that delhi has no exclusive executive power at the same time center argued that it was the contention of both the center and the delhi government that being a state is a prerequisite to claim exclusive executive powers and that is the only reason why delhi government is proclaiming it to be a state and since the constitution bench reaffirmed the status of delhi as a union territory and not as a state there's no question of exclusive executive power to delhi government and consequently no sovereignty lies with the delhi government this was center's argument 
To this, Delhi government accused the center for trying to re-argue the case and that the constitution bench clearly settled this matter by saying that for matters concerning Delhi, the elected council of ministers has the exclusive executive power and the lieutenant governor is obliged to abide by such suggestion barring, barring extraordinary events. The three-judge bench endorsed, the, endorsed uh, Delhi's argument and declared that Parliament has overriding legislative powers, but the executive powers actually vest with the Delhi government. But on rare cases, Lieutenant Governor has the power to refer to any matter to the president, and Delhi's sovereignty stands eroded to that extent. Then the bench went on to hear the issues on merits. Chidambaram representing the Delhi government challenged the vires of the 2015 notification that bestowed on the Lieutenant Governor's full powers over subject uh, titled services in Listo. And the services entry has two elements. One is state public services and the second one is state public service commission. Now Chidambaram argued Delhi has no state public service, uh, state public services commission, SPSC. Uh, because it's not a state and the role of SPSC is covered by DANEX, which is an acronym for Delhi, Andaman and Nicobar Islands, Lakshadweep, Daman and Dio and Dajranagar Haveli Civil Services Commission, which is quite a mouthful, uh, which is also a joint service commission for a few union territories. And it is entirely controlled by the center because there are four services in union territories. And with this DANEX, Center just allots a few officers to each union territory and then the lieutenant governor or the administrator of that union territory allots respective roles to these allotted officers. After the allotment, the center's only power would be to transfer a posted civil servant out of the union territory and the deputation powers still vest with the lieutenant governor or administrator of that region. And the central has literally no say in deputation. So even in Delhi, center's role would be confined to merely allotting officers to Delhi. Their appointment within Delhi will be done by the lieutenant governor, that too on the advice of Delhi government, because by virtue of Article 239AA, Delhi government is a sovereign decision-making body and it has its own obligations towards its people and for that, it needs to have its own services independent of center's influence. So after the allotment, the center's only power in Delhi would be to transfer a posted civil servant out of Delhi and nothing more. Center has no, uh, and Chidambaram argued that center has no sane local transfers or postings once the officers are allotted because in states, the governor transfers civil servants on a binding advice of the state cabinet. And in Delhi, Lieutenant Governor too has to abide by the decision of Delhi government, keeping in view the constitution bench judgment. Then the center argued that the entry services in list two contains SPSC, State Public Service Commissions. Then Danix is a replacement of SPSC. And had there been a state public service commission in Delhi, Delhi government would be, f uh, it would be free of uh, central government's control. So just like in other union territories too, it is the lieutenant governor who has complete control over the local appointments and that too by virtue of 2015 notification. On the alternative, center argued that even by virtue of existence of Danix, Delhi government's power over services stands extinguished because the field has already been occupied. So consequently, the lieutenant governor is not obliged to abide by the decision of the cabinet because they were extinguished, their right is uh, extinguished and it has become an occupied field. On this issue, the Supreme Court decided in favor of Delhi and held that center's powers end with allotting civil servants to the states and union territories and after that lieutenant governor has to make postings on the binding advice of delhi government on the delhi anti-corruption bureau uh, element the acb and its power to prosecute central government employees under the prevention of corruption uh, corruption act which uh, 
and a central government notification was challenged here and this notification restricted delhi's acb's jurisdiction to just delhi government employees and the central government employees were expressly exempted all of this by invoking section 2 of crpc and this section 2 as uh, of crpc empowers the state government oh sorry the question here was whether section 2 as uh empowers the state government or the central government in cases of union territories to establish new police stations and here in dispute was which was the competent government to establish or poli- establish police stations under section 2s delhi government gave a brief history of uh, delhi acb and noted that in 1986 invoking cm section 2s of crpc the then administer uh, administrator declared acb as a police station for delhi for both central and state government employees for certain corruption related offences and then in 2015 center modified this notification and excluded central government employees under its ambit then delhi government challenged the 2015 notification on three grounds first one is that post 69th amendment to the constitution the appropriate government in section 2s of crpc is delhi government not the central government unlike in other union territories and the second one is the notification created a class of persons you know central government employees and exempted these uh, this class of persons from prosecution despite committing the same offenses and this prohibit and this classification violates article 14 and the final one is by virtue of this notification the definition of a public servant is altered through a mere notification in delhi jurisdiction where it should have been done through a parliamentary mandate hence this notification shall be quashed delhi government then argued that criminal procedure is an entry of list 3 in section is a list 3 and section 2 as relates to this uh, this element this entry in list 3 and not the subject of police which is reserved for the center criminal procedure and less 3 reads criminal procedure including all matters included in the criminal code of criminal procedure at the commencement of this constitution delhi government then argued that from the interpretation of the constitution bench judgment delhi government and delhi assembly has virtually exclusive executive and a uh, legislative power respectively for criminal procedure within delhi because it's in list 3 next section 3 sub clause 58 of general clause act defines the expression state and says it shall also mean a union territory whenever required and the essence of this section in the general clauses act is to empower the competent authority to exercise its power and not to be tied by any linguistic technicalities so for delhi the competent government would be delhi government and center argued that establishment of acb is covered under the subject of police which is reserved for the center then center argued police in delhi are regulated by delhi police act and in the scheme of the act administrator or lieutenant governor was the head of police and this clearly goes on to show that the subject is under center's control reliance to concurred with the center on this issue because here reliance was uh, one of the parties the supreme court decreed in favor of delhi in favor of center and reliance uh, in favor of center and reliance and held that acb's power is uh, is in fact traceable to the subject of police and this is center's prerogative and similarly the orders of the executive to refrain acb from prosecuting central government employees as not an encroachment on delhi government's rights then since administrator was the head of the police under delhi police act it would be permissible to limit investigation power of the acb by the by the very administrator and in this case the administrator is the lieutenant governor then the third issue was commission of inquiry So just to give you a little background under Commission of Inquiry Act 1952 governments can form commissions the central government can form a commission to inquire into into any subject in all three lists uh, all three lists 1 2 and 3 but the state government can only uh, inquire into entries in list 2 and 3 2 and 3 because 2 and 3 are the lists on which the state legislature can legislate 
and list one empowers uh, center's powers list one includes center power center's powers so states can't inquire into items in list one unless the permission or unless they secure the permission of the center the commission can have powers of a civil court that is to summon witnesses and take evidences on oath and examining documents and requiring production of any document so delhi government formed a commission under the act without the concurrence of lieutenant governor and this commission was to inquire into the affairs of delhi district cricket uh, authority for corruption and this inquiry was challenged by the central government <coughs> Delhi government argued that the power to appoint a commission of inquiry generally and even under the commission of inquiry act is a power coterminous with the governance as it is a means of a government informing itself of matters of public importance so this salutary power cannot be denied to any government and on top of that commission of inquiry act merely prescribes a procedure to conduct an inquiry and doesn't manufacture a statutory right the rights flows from list 3 so delhi government can form an inquiry commission into subjects delhi legislature can legislate notwithstanding the commission of inquiry act because entry 45 of list 3 allows forming of inquiry commissions it is a constitutional right of all the states Delhi government also argued it lacks reason to deprive Delhi government of inquiry powers when it otherwise has the same power to appoint an inquiry under entry 45 of list 3 Center argued that commission of inquiry act is a parliamentary enactment so its implementation has to be as per the provisions of the act but the supreme court decreed in favor of delhi government by asserting that forming inquiry commissions is a constitutional right and not a statutory right and reaffirmed the powers of delhi government to appoint its own inquiry commission and the next issue was delhi government's power to uh, revise land rates under indian stamps act 1899 and delhi rules for valuation a notification issued without sending a copy to lieutenant governor on revising the land rates was under challenge it was challenged on two grounds one for not placing it before the lieutenant governor and two for land being a reserved subject delhi government has no jurisdiction to revise circle rates center argued that fixing of a circle rate is relatable to entry 18 of list 2 that is land and even if it is empowered to it still void for not placing it before the lieutenant governor and delhi government rebutted by arguing that stamp duty is imposed on an instrument with regard to the title of the land and not to the not, not on the land itself so a stamp duty would be levied on a transfer instrument but not on a land and the occasion for levy of stamp duty is on transfer of land and the execution of conveyance deed so delhi government's power relates to entry 63 of list 2 which reads rates of stamp duty in respect of documents other than those uh, specified in provisions of list 1 and then center uh, delhi government pointed out that it's a common power for states to revise circle rates and cited numerous examples of other states and the supreme court traced the uh, traced the notification to entry uh, 63 of list 2 and upheld the notification in favor of the delhi government and then on the issue of special prosecutors to delhi government was declared the competent authority because it's a service of the state government and on the issue of electricity board the supreme court again uh, went ahead with delhi so in effect it's a win for delhi government because the supreme court affirmed the sovereignty of delhi and virtually made delhi a state and it still left room for center to interfere but added enough safeguards while exercising such power to preserve the federal principle uh, which is also a basic feature of our constitution then in 2021 last year There was an amendment to the GNCTD Act with a voice vote. Interestingly, GNCTD Act, to put in a rudimentary manner, is Delhi's own little constitution, and it contains provisions for governance, administration, and procedures with the gov uh, with the basic functioning of the government. And this recent amendment made the government of Delhi as the lieutenant governor, like they literally. 
calling they're literally taking all the actions under the name of the lieutenant governor just like how uk in the past referred to and you know it still does now to refer the government as the crown and take all the decisions in the name of the crown then the amendment also mandated the elected government to take opinion of the lieutenant governor before taking any executive action and prohibited the rules of business of delhi assembly from being repugnant to uh, lok sabha rules so in other democratic countries capitals are given similar treatment their local residents have no significant uh, franchise powers because it is a capital and it's too important to let it administered by a locally elected government washington has its uh, elected body but all of its legislation requires a sanction from the senate and in london there are four government institutions sovereign in their own right so it's even more complex than delhi and canberra of australia too is not that not autonomous at all but on the other hand canada's capital ottawa is significantly autonomous so all of this goes on to uh, <coughs> goes on to show that there's no right way of administering a capital and it's unique to its country's needs and i believe the structure of delhi is very reasonable and also that capitals shall not be swayed by the influences of local politics just like how nehru said and delhi is being administered with the right agencies and power has been distributed reasonably but it's the people that control these agencies that pose threat to the federal principles that the constitution so happily cherishes so this has been episode 4 of hamlet of law and this is the end of the episode yeah i'll see you on the next one i i mean maybe you will listen to me on the next one <laughs>